Hi, I'm TJ. And I'm Joseph. And this is Hi-Fi. TJ, I thought that for a change of pace this week, we should talk about the uh, side items. We should talk about the main subject. We should say hellos later. Keep Save that for last. Okay. Well, Joe, servers are dumb. Why is that, TJ? <laughs> there, there was no episode of Night Owl. Uh, our, I'm sorry. Our, our network is Night Owl. There was no episode of Hi-Fi last week. Um, as people may have noticed, if they're regular listeners, and, and if not, we missed last week. Episode 27 was supposed to come out last week, and it didn't. And that's because while I was waiting for Joe, uh, I think I was early. I don't think you were late. I was I was just, you know, I was at my computer early, and I decided I was going to fix an annoying bug uh, where the show art did not show up in Overcast. I have switched my podcast client to Overcast, at least for now, for a while. From And I still have Pocket Casts, and I keep it, like, up to date and all that stuff but i'm testing out the most recent versions of overcast and the watch app and all that stuff anyway i decided to fix this annoying bug where the show art would not show up in overcast and i couldn't figure out why so i decided to take a fresh look at it i looked at it and i immediately figured out why which i wasn't able to do before so sometimes a fresh perspective and i thought oh that's easy so i fixed it really quick i committed my code into git and i pushed it which i have set up to trigger an automatic deploy which is fine, except that um, a couple months ago, I was having um, space trouble on the disk uh, for the server. I was running out of space, and um, I thought, oh, well, I'll install this thing that everybody says you should install with Docker to um, to clean up the disk space and um, have it set to run periodically. Well, it just so happens that if the Docker container – I know this is getting very technical – but if the Docker container for Night Owl is not running – and the process to clean things up runs while the Docker container is not running, which there's a brief window when I'm deploying where that happens, then it will delete things it shouldn't. Ooh. And we lost about a month's worth of data uh, during the deploy. So I immediately threw that software. <laughs> the very first thing I did once I discovered what was going on is I threw that software out that I was using to try to recover disk space and um, blacklisted it, never install it ever again, never use it again. <laughs> and uh, then I proceeded to find out – well, actually, I lost all data. <laughs> it wiped out the database. It wiped out uh, up, you know, all the audio files. And I, that's when I went to my backups and discovered my backups had not been running properly for about a month. Ouch. And Was my that backups, unrelated? It was unrelated. It was ex- huh. very unrelated. Um, I Because the cobbler's cho- – the, the, you've heard the expression, the cobbler's children often go without shoes, right? That's right. Um I'm doing Night Owl backups on the cheap. <laughs> I'm not like for my clients. I have all these fail, foolproof, fail safe, whatever. For Night Owl, I have a simple script that runs on my computer, the one that I'm podcasting from right now, that pulls down all the data to the local hard drive, and then I have a various backup solutions from there because my computers are backed up, right? So. It pulls all that data down into a directory with a date timestamp and says this is the site snapshot for that date. That's running on what's called a cron job. Well, cron jobs on macOS, even though macOS is uh, Unix compatible or whatever and supposed to run, be able to run crons, 
Crons are very unreliable on macOS, and um, something was wrong. It just wasn't running properly, and I was not checking in on my backups, which is also bad. <laughs> so, well, your backups have run 100 times out of 10, so I wasn't disappointed before. <laughs> I think this is like the first time that we've had a crash of any sort. So. That's true. And how many years the Night Owl has been on the on the thing? But, on the webs. Yeah. So anyway, um, so we had to manually re-up. Thankfully, you and I both save our audio files. Um, we don't throw them away once we upload them to the site and so all we had to do was reclaim the metadata for the podcasts and re-upload them unfortunately the uh unique ids for each of the episodes would change because we were adding new episodes quote new episodes to the cms for the last month and so if you were subscribed (laughs) to our show you got all of last month's episodes again i'm sorry about that our apologies but it was necessary i did discover um an application called lingon so Joe, this is really getting into the guts. This is what I am. I'm a nerd. This is really getting this sounds like one of your fant- Star Trek fantasies of software. <laughs> Ling on. <What> is this? <laughs> so I'm really getting into the guts of macOS here. So macOS actually, um, they have a process um, controller, a kind of a it's a supervisor type thing called launch D. Um, and we have supervisor and various other, although supervisor is not a one-to-one, uh, but launch D is responsible for basically booting up Mac OS and then controlling all the system processes and demon background demons and stuff that run in Mac OS and ling on. And you have various levels of that. So you have like user processes, you have system processes and you have kernel processes and all these things. So ling on is a visual interface into ed- creating and editing tasks, uh, that, that launch D will then control and supervise. And so what I've done is i've i've taken ling on and i've created a task that will run my backup script every day at i think 2 a.m um so it's long after i've gone to bed my computer will download the backups and ling on is much has been proven much more reliable so far than cron jobs um and so ling it's it's without fail it has run every night so far since i started using it and uh, i check i I now have a task set up a repeating task in todoist uh every week check in on my backups (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so nice. um i'll probably change that to once a month once i once i feel pretty comfortable with launch d running my task instead of a cron job but anyway i'll put some links in the show notes to ling on and uh a pr- an explanation of what launch d is in mac os and a tweet uh, that i have here that actually shows the visual user interface of ling on it's actually a very nice looking application for something yeah, like, that, that touches really low-lying processes i mean you still have to know what you're doing like i wrote a shell script i'm uh, you know I'm, I'm guessing you as a designer don't know how to write shell scripts yeah uh, uh, but me as a developer, I, I can write a shell script. I can write I, – I, I know a little bit of Bash. So, um, yeah. <laughs> anyway, LaunchD is basically uh, on a schedule running my shell script for backups. So hopefully this will never happen again. Well, cool. <sighs> what kind of backups do you typically run? Do you have backups of all the things then you have of the do – you, do you backup like anything to a cloud? What you know? So um, these backups are very crude. I'll start with the backups that I'm running for the servers. Uh, and again, Cobbler's Children and all that. Uh, the backups are very crude. Basically, my script um, does what's called an rsync, where it rsyncs down. In, uh, so I create a directory with the date stamp. Uh, so I have a unique directory for each backup. And then into that directory, rsync downloads uh, basically all the um, user-generated content on Night Owl and my, some of my other sites. Um, in that case, it's audio files and show artwork and various things like that. And then it also downloads it creates and downloads a copy of the database for night owl that's a postgres database for some of my other sites it's a mysql database uh same concept it creates generates a dump file it's basically a text file that contains all the data in the database that the database can be recreated from uh and so i create and it's (laughs) 
you know, less crude backups would have a sort of a uh, delta between the backups where it's like, oh, only things that have changed we're going to save from the last backup. But I, mine is just generating a full backup every time. And then I keep a running 30 days of that. So not the most space efficient, but it, it's fine. So from there, that goes on to I have an external hard drive, um, which I call Recognizer. Um, which if you are a Tron fan, you will understand. Um, <laughs> so I call this hard drive recognizer. That is my master hard drive. It's a little bitty SSD. It's very fast uh, and it's pocketable and um, it's USB-C connection and it's just fine. And um, that's where I keep everything. And I can transfer that between my desktop and my laptop um, so that whatever I'm working on, I can just grab it and take my laptop on the road or go outside on the porch and work instead of working on my desktop computer. So it's really nice, and that's where I'm storing my backups. And then I have another drive just like it that's attached to my computer, and I have a Carbon Copy Cloner uh, running um, every night at, I think, midnight or 1230 or something like that. I usually go to bed by 11 or 1130, so that's a pretty safe time uh, for the backup to run. And basically, it just makes sure that this other drive is a clone, and I, I have the safety net feature turned on so that files that get deleted will stay in the safety net for a certain amount of time. And and things like that. So I have this drive that contains all my data. I keep very little data on the actual computer internal hard drive. And then, um, so that that is a, I keep a clone in case the drive fails or I lose it or something. And there, all this is encrypted, by the way. I, I use um, FileVault on all my drives. Which, uh, FileVault, of, I don't know. Back in the early days of FileVault with macOS, it was a little slow. These days, it is literally the same speed. As not, there's no reason not to encrypt your hard drives. Um, so this is all encrypted in case I were to lose the drive. Um, yeah. And so that's my backup strategy there. And, uh, I'm pretty, I'm pretty happy with that. Having my data, um, on two hard drives, uh, and copied every night at, at midnight or a little after. Well, very good. It sounds robust for a simple approach. Yeah, I did have uh, – here's here's an interesting tip if you use Carbon Copy Cloner. I mm. used to have problems where I would search for or go to a file and it would be on my backup drive instead of, rec- instead of my main drive. Yes, that's um, me. And what Carbon Copy Cloner can do is mount and unmount drives. So you can have it mount a drive for backup. So this is what I do now is I keep the Recognizer backup drive unmounted. And then Carbon Copy Cloner, when the time comes, when the schedule comes, will mount it do the backup, and then unmount it. So it's connected, but it's unmounted, and I don't accidentally use stuff in there anymore. So it's really good, really nice. Okay, well, very good. I didn't have a backups problem, but I'll tell you about my own woes and my own drive issues in a little bit later in the show. Yes, I'm looking forward, or I guess I'm looking forward to that. (laughs) (laughs) But I wanted to hear some other interesting details here. It says in our outline that you started trying out Safari again. Now you're using this across iOS all the time and now the Mac as well. Is that the story? Yeah, that's part of the reason. So I am now, um, since I have changed jobs, I'm no longer, I haven't booted up Windows since I left my previous job, which, you know, I'm happy to work in Windows when I need to, but I just don't need to anymore. And so now I'm living the 100% Apple lifestyle. Um, Very interesting. And... I wanted to give Safari another try because I, I do like Edge better than Chrome in terms of battery life, but it still appears in the battery menu, menu once in a while where Safari almost never does on my laptop, I should say. I thought and, you were usually plugged in for power all the time. Well, so the problem, though, is my 2015 laptop, and I've been working out on the porch a lot when it's been warm enough because I like to do that in the spring. And so I'll use my laptop for that instead of my Hackintosh. 
and I'll be out on the porch. And my I'm I'm trying to do everything I can to keep this 2015 MacBook Pro cool. Um, I have a series of tweets. I'll try to find them and link them up in the uh, show notes. Um, um, so the problem with this this particular model it has a discrete graphics card and it runs very hot and the fan will just get spinning really fast and the internals will heat up and I'm trying to keep it cool. And Edge is better than Chrome, but it'll still spin up the fans more often than Safari, and it'll use more power. And so it's not so much a battery issue as it is an efficiency issue in trying to keep the computer cool. Um, And so in addition, I have my quibbles with Safari's interface. I also have my quibbles with Edge's interface as I do with Chrome's interface. But I think overall Safari is a nicer-looking interface, and since I'm picking my I don't like this and I do like this but I don't like this, like I do like the look of Safari. Especially, yeah, especially in Big Sur, I quibble with the um, resizing of tab. Like tabs take up as much space as they can all the time, and I quibble with that instead mm. of them always being the same size. So that's annoying. If we can even call them tabs, it's they're, kind of well, amorphous. They're tabs. I mean, I click plus, and it adds a, a new tab, and you can click on various tabs. It's mm. very, by very definition, it is a tab. I felt like Apple has more the attitude of let's call them tabs, and it doesn't matter what shape they may take <laughs> on, but we'll treat them like they're tabs. I also wish that that tabs were on top instead of below the address bar, but all, yes. all those things. Apple, are... please at least offer this as an option with a toggle. Yeah, you, I mean, we I think know you can do it. I think Safari is the last holdout now of having tabs under the address bar. It's so ugly. It, it, it feels like it's a very dated so, quality to a very modern design. For me, it's not ugly so much as I just – I think that functionally tabs make more sense on the top because you're switching the context of everything. So, okay, do this experiment with Safari. Mm. You have two tabs open and you click on a tab below the address bar. What happens to the address bar? It also changes context to match what is below the – tab bar so it makes more sense from a paradigm perspective of of the paradigm of shifting the contents of your of your window to match what's in the tab it makes more sense logically for that paradigm for the tabs to live on the top um and it's also i think uh more conducive to muscle memory you flick your mouse up to the top of the window and you don't have to go oh i went too far like no it's just it's the top of the window like it just I don't know it it just makes more sense but there are other things that I like about Safari um the integration with messages when I am signing in and they don't have proper two factor auth but they have SMS auth and so Safari will pop up a thing when you have that auth and it, and it comes up in messages and it says oh uh we're going to autofill this for you if you want um also I can um have stuff open in Safari on my iPad that I had open on my desktop like it just it's it's seamless that way so there's give and take, right? And I'm, I'm trying to live the Safari lifestyle. I, I do feel like some of Safari's um, interface conventions and animations actually slow it down. Uh, for instance, when I drag a tab out of this window, it has to do this whole animation where it slides or it kind of grows up after you drop yes. it and, and things like that. Um, when I do a new tab and I start typing an uh, address, sometimes it takes a minute to come up. There's just little things like that that I'm like, um, does it have to can can you just speed up the animations apple like so again i'm i'm trying to live the safari lifestyle i do like and again i'm not as averse to some of this stuff as other people but i do like apples and pushback and emphasis on privacy i think that's needed and um safari you know is doing some good work there so i'm trying the safari lifestyle that's that's what it boils down to 
Yeah, my favorites are the Brave Browser and Safari and uh, couldn't agree more with everything you said, except for those tabs. The interface is great. One thing I do miss about Brave, if I go over to Safari, is the ability to custom theme the browser. And it's, you know, when we say custom themes, I'm not interested in wallpapers behind this start page or some tacky highlight colors. You're wanting to change the whole Chrome and look of the of the browser. When I say Chrome, I mean the, the windowing colors. Yeah. yeah. So I, I just like to have sort of a, a comfortable color scheme to the bar, the top. And there's pretty good options besides a very dull, flat, off-white, which is what Safari sticks to. Yeah, and see, it's funny. I've really gone away from that sort of customization. Uh, when I was, you know, much younger in my early twenties, and I got my first um, Apple laptop, Apple computer. I, um, I, do you remember this software? Oh, um, what was it called? It, it was a, basically a themer for Mac OS X, and it severely destabilized it. But and eventually, you'd have to reinstall OS X, and I stopped using it after that. But um, it was uh, you, you could you would make it look like Windows XP. You could make it, you know, and they were called Haxies, where basically <laughs> they were hooked. They were modifying. You can't even do this on Mac OS anymore. They've because they've no. really crunched down on on security and uh, encrypted memory and all this stuff. But they would modify things in RAM or on the way to RAM to modify the appearance of Mac OS. Um, I used to do all that stuff, and I find now I want a pretty vanilla look and feel for my stuff. I do really like a dark mode theme. I don't mm. need it to be colorful in dark mode, but the home office is a lot more bright environment, and I find that the glare on the IMAX screen is just enough that I want to go back to light mode so that it reduces the glare in general. But if I'm at the office in town... I don't have any windows there and I keep pretty warm lights kind of dim from some lamps. So a dark mode setting is really good across the board. Then I'm pretty happy about that. I'm going to drop some science into the show notes. Mm-hmm. Um, I put a link in the show notes to a blog post and this is talking about um, color schemes for edit um, for uh, code editors, which of course as a developer I am into and I actually like the look of dark code color schemes a lot. Um, but scientifically, uh, our eyes work much better with light color schemes Interesting. and, um, uh, it makes a lot of sense when I read through this, I'm like, Oh, this is why my eyes actually feel more tired when I've been using dark modes at the end of the day. It's, it's, uh, it's not something you notice as you're using it, but by the end mm-hmm. of the day, I always notice, man, my eyes are really tired. And then I, this seems to be unique to me. I have this problem with like burn in with white text on dark backgrounds where like I'll look away and I can still see the white text and it really hurts my eyes over time. So oh, you're not wrong. I, I, I'm very sensitive to how bright I'll leave the display on. If I am in dark mode, I, I dim the brightness. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, this, um, this blog post I think is drops a little science. So I'll, I'll put that in there on why you should be using light schemes. I'm, I'm a light scheme person. I've even recently, I tried to do some dark mode, like had auto switch, had Mac OS auto switch at a dark mode and it just wasn't working for me. Okay. And you're using the light mode across all your devices then. Everything. You stick to that on your iPad even. Okay. Uh, yeah. Light mode on everything, light color schemes and my code editors. I've got a, co- a code editor color scheme that I have honed and, and developed over many years and I really love it. Um, so one of my yeah. favorite features of the YouTube is that you can have a dark mode option for the site as a whole. And I keep it in the dark mode all the time. It feels theatrical cinematic feels like i'm going to the movies yeah and for that especially because on youtube you're not there to read you're there to watch and so it, it 
I could get on board with that for YouTube, perhaps. Yeah, and, and when it comes to reading, like an ebook reading uh, sort of app, I I think that that's totally different experience. I think you have to treat that in its own right. But the only time I want that to be in dark mode is if the environment is really dark. You know, late at night, the dim lights, then I'll switch to a dark mode. But during the day, I do want to read it like it's a regular piece of paper with black text on it. So I want that to be bright. Hmm. You want to talk about Dub Dub? Yes, please. Okay, so um, Apple announced uh, WWDC 2021, um, and it is going to be all virtual again, which which I think, based on the way things are right now, whether we agree or disagree, I think that's just what they have to do. Um, and so that, that makes sense. Um, I don't I just wanted to note it because like as Apple enthusiasts, we would have we have to note it, but I don't know that I, I don't what do you think we're going to see at WWDC? I think the feel of the event is going to be very much the same. Then they're going to be talking about the, you know, the new generation of Mac OS and watch OS and iPad OS. And maybe iPad OS gets a little bit more attention than we're all giving it credit for since last year seemed to be more of a refinement period for iPad OS. They could give it a better kick and uh, features. And I'd be more interested in seeing what they want. Well, I'm not sure that I'm interested in what they're doing for developers because I'm not a developer. If I was developing something, I think I'd well, be much more interested. You do realize that WWDC stands for Worldwide Developer Conference. Yeah, it, but it's really the, the juicy thing is the keynote at the top of the sure, event. And sure. I'm more interested in new product releases. What are they going to allude to? What does this mean for things like a hypothetical outdoorsy uh, adventurers apple watch you know that's a more rugged in its body and maybe a little bit more sporty for the outdoorsman i think that's an interesting idea don't know if i want it but even if um you know we were talking about how the iphone 12 generation looks so good in those uh straight edges you know the blocky form factor returning to the iphone 5 sort of body style I would be really intrigued by an Apple Watch that had the same sort of curvature or the lack thereof that the iPhone 12 has. Now we got the iPad with a flat edge. We've got the iPhone with a flat edge. And the Apple Watch is still a rounded, what do you call, soap bar sort of design based on the iPhone 11 design. Mm, Interesting. So even if you don't get that outdoorsy look or maybe because of the outdoorsy generation of apple watches i'd be really interested in one that has the sleeker design of the iphone 12 now so for something i wear on my wrist i'm not sure i want the flat edges i don't know i'm and i'm very happy with my current apple watch but at the same time i do love the iphone 12 design so maybe i would love it and maybe it wouldn't dig into my arms and it would be uh, my wrist and it would be fine i'm not going to find out for a while because i'm sticking with this apple watch for a while but yeah, that's interesting. I mean, and the other thing about WWDC is it, it is a developer conference, but um, something like Apple Silicon is very relevant to developers. And so you could sort of, if you want to make the logical leap, um, not that Apple needs to make a logical leap. Sometimes they've released stuff at WWDC just because. But um, if you want to make the logical leap, announcing new uh, transitions like the iMac line, for instance, to Apple Silicon. Uh, would make sense because that's a very developer thing to be thinking about in terms of, oh, my Apple Silicon apps better be ready to go because now we're really getting serious about this. Not that they shouldn't have been already. Um, so that that's something interesting I think that they could do as well is release some new Apple Silicon Macs. And 
you know, there's only so much time left for them to do. I mean, I mean, they have plenty of time on the one hand, but on the other hand, it takes a while to crank these computers out. And so if they're going to be releasing a couple of products for, for Apple Silicon every, you know, every few, you know, few months, um, then you've got to start somewhere. And what better place than WWDC? That's what yeah, I rumor say. Rumor has it that they are going to update the smallest iMacs. How do you feel about that? I, I was hoping that they would just update the whole line at the same time. Well, there's plenty of rumors. Um, they uh, have discontinued or not available currently the Intel um, iMac, uh, the 21-inch the Intel iMac. Who knows what that means? Um, there's plenty of rumors flying around, and they conflict. Some are, some rumors are that the bezels will be shrinking, and so the overall form factor won't be getting bigger, but the screen sizes will be getting bigger because the bezels are shrinking, and so we'll have like a 30-inch iMac and perhaps a 24-inch iMac. I I'm I don't think they would do the small one and then the large one. I I don't think there's ever been a distinction with the iMacs except for the iMac Pro of one being Pro and one being not Pro. And so the distinction that they kind of made, even though it was the MacBook Pro, it was a smaller MacBook Pro that they updated and and in this past year. Or so I don't know that I don't know what Apple's thinking there, but I, I would like to see them update the entire iMac line in, in one go. I think shopping across the board for all the buyers for the iMacs, if all of them have the updated chip, then it just makes it so much easier for recommendations from the techies among us that we can tell our family and businesses, yeah, just buy any of the iMacs. It's okay. They eliminated the, the iMac Pro. Did you hear that? You don't even have to think about it anymore. Just any of the iMacs is a very pro machine with the M chips. And now you just got to pick the model that is the right size for your your desktop and you just want a bigger screen if you've got to have more screen real estate. And I think that that would be a great story to tell. Yeah, and I hope they don't. Like, So there is a rumor, too, that they won't have a smaller iMac. And I, I hope they don't get rid of the smaller iMac because um, 30-inch, I think, is just too large for a lot of people. Uh, I do think the 21-inch is kind of small these days for a desktop computer. But 24-inch, uh, I think, would be a great you know, all around general purpose computer to be selling. So I hope that they, I hope they continue with that. So I, I'm, I'm just torn on whether I think that Apple would release, uh, iMacs or larger MacBook pros or both at WWDC. But I think, I think that that's the, that's the, I mean, MacBook pros make sense for a developer conference because that would be very targeted toward developers, but developers use iMacs too. And, um, so, the Mac, the iMac Pro was discontinued, and we think that's because um, Intel is no longer selling the chips that the iMac Pro was designed to use, and so Apple decided to just stop. They didn't want to do a, a spec bump on the iMac Pro, and so they discontinued it. But that also indicates to me that they're confident that their launch of the of the Apple Silicon Mac, iMac Pro or iMac is right around the corner, and um, so I I feel like we're going to see iMac sooner than later. So that's my prediction. I, 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 going back to the MacBook Pro idea, I, that's the computer I really would be in the market for before the end of the year. So I would appreciate it if there was a 16, 15 inch model that had an M chip in it, even if they wanted it to keep around some of the Intel ones for a while, the way that they are for the current MacBooks that they've already replaced. They, they, they have some with and some without. Maybe you just get your foot in the door with one model that continues to have the uh, Intel chips because of this and that, but then you also have the model for the M chip. I don't know. I, I want that extra size. Like I was shopping at the store. I'm thinking about with the MacBook Pro 13-inch, sharing one of those with my wife as a home computer. 
and we have a 15 inch MacBook Pro from 2000. I think it's 15 now, but it's you know it's just long in the tooth. It's it's in its senior years, and its trackpad is waning, but <laughs> otherwise it's mostly okay. So here's the interesting thing to me. I have always been a 15 inch laptop kind of guy. Um, my current personal computer is a 2015 15 inch laptop. But and my previous work supplied me with a 15 inch laptop, albeit thinner than my personal, so it didn't feel quite as bulky to lug around. But my current work situation, my current work laptop is a 13 inch laptop, and that's fine because most of the time it's, it's it's plenty powerful, and most of the time it's connected to my displays. But when it's not, when I'm got it in my lap, it is kind of nice not to not to be lugging this larger computer around and using my personal computer as an actual laptop and not plugging into displays. It definitely feels bulky and, and long in the tooth now. So yeah. I, I would love to see Apple. So Apple updated the 13-inch laptop with an M1 chip, but it's missing some features that I would need in order to buy it, such as this, the support for either A, external GPUs, which is what I, I use an external GPU with my work laptop. The same here. Um, in order to have multiple displays. The current M1 chips only support a single external display in addition to the built-in display. Or if it's, an, if it's, a, Mac, if it's a Mac Mini, it'll support two external displays because it has no built-in display. Um, but the, the MacBook Pro uh, with the M1 chip will only support a single external display. I'm sorry, I have to... I, I use... At the at the least two external displays, I I would need ex- at least two external displays, but I use three typically, and so I think that Apple needs to get their chips there, and I hope that the, I hope that a future MacBook Pro 13 inch will support uh, three displays or add back the ability to use external GPUs. Now I know that there's challenges with that because of the way they've designed Apple Silicon and, and the way the components work very closely together. That's probably why they haven't gone with the ability to uh, do external GPUs. But there's there's just some things missing here, and I I have every confidence that Apple. Let's put it this way: I know that Apple's not unaware <laughs> that these are issues. It's whether they'll do something about it. I don't know. I would like to see them announce at WWDC a 13 inch laptop and a 15 inch laptop that have an M1X that supports up to three external displays or something like that. I, and I would be very happy to get the extra ports. The Other than that, besides the external display support and the ports, the 13-inch model is perfect for me, but my wife is interested in a little larger display, so I can understand getting the 15-inch as the uh, sweet spot for the two of us. Yeah, and I suppose that'd be fine. Uh, it's personal preference thing. The interesting thing about the ports is um, I actually really love Thunderbolt. Um, I have a Thunderbolt dock sitting here on my desk in addition to my... Um, my eGPU, it is the only, those two cables are the only thing that I have to plug in to my work computer. Um, and it's off to the races that, that it gets power through one of those cables. It doesn't matter to me, which, because it just does. And, uh, I just have to plug in those two, compu- those two cables or with my 15 inch laptop, because it doesn't have Thunderbolt three, I have to plug in power and I have to plug in the display cable and I have to plug in the other display cable and I have to do all the, like, and it's just, it has all these ports and I actually love the Thunderbolt life. I, I'd be happy to have a few additional ports. I just wouldn't use them very often. And so I understand why Apple removed them and it, it won't hurt my, <clears throat> it won't hurt my feelings either way, although I'm pretty sure I've argued in the past that Apple should add these ports back. Well, it's an interesting and conflicting time for all of the buyers. <laughs> we'll see what Apple's up to, but I know that they they got to do things for the iMac line, but man, I don't really want an iMac, man. I really yeah. want them to get their act together for the whole MacBook line. I, I don't see myself ever buying an iMac. Now, 
I I have gone toward desktop computers because of things like heat issues and the MacBook Pros, but it seems like they've so- – and power. And it seems like they may have solved that with the M1, you know, the Apple Silicon chips. And right. I could see going back to just having a laptop and plugging that into my displays or, or taking it mobile. Um, that would eliminate the need for me to have an external drive that's pocketable. Everything would just be on my internal drive and, and that sort of thing. Um, but that's years in the future for me because I'm, I'm pretty invested in my current setup, right? I have a Hackintosh that I want to get all the life out of I can before Apple abandons the Intel platform. So, so. best case scenario, Apple at DubDub gives us some kind of new Macs and preferably, well, it's like you said, you know, you needed at one point to have something along the lines of a professional grade Mac mini or a mini Mac pro. And that would be a sweet spot for all of us, but whatever they're going to do, I I do prefer something along the lines of the Mac mini or a MacBook pro over an iMac. Yeah, I think so too. But again, I think the iMac is their biggest desktop seller. Um, I think that would make the most sense to, to, to update for them. Maybe we can just get it by the end of the year. Uh, it's something they can give us a fall release. I don't care. Just give me a MacBook pro please for Christmas. (laughs) So you want to talk about my Apple watch? (laughs) Yes. Now, have we talked about your Apple watch on the show before? We've talked Uh, about it offline. Yes. The times we have talked about it are legion. Okay. Uh, Here's the current status. I, um, I, I'm so fed up with this Apple cellular service and I, I'm not sure who to blame, although right now I'm leaning toward T-Mobile. Um, but, uh, I I decided I was going to wipe and reinstall my watch, which I did, and it had there was some pain points. Yes, I tried to make sure everything's backed up, but some things are just like, oh, I have to reset that setting. Why didn't that save? Like, I don't know, just little little things that just bug me. I, I'm pretty much back to normal now with my watch. Still no cell service. Um, although once in a while, um, once in a while I will check it and it will have cell signal. But most of the time, or cell service when I'm away from my phone, most of the time it does not. I spent two hours on the phone with T-Mobile the other day uh, trying to get to the bottom of this, and they finally said, "Well, can't figure it out. Your your watch looks provisioned correctly. The network can see it. We don't know why it's not getting data." And I, I showed them a report where other users are having this problem, uh, a forum post on the T-Mobile forums. They said, yes, we see that. We definitely see that other customers are experiencing this as well. We're going to assign this to network engineering, and we'll get back with you. They haven't. The problem isn't fixed yet. They told me to call back in three days. It's been five if I if I if if it hadn't been fixed. So that's where I'm at. I'm really frustrated, and I am about ready to switch to a different carrier if this doesn't fix itself and see if the problem is the carrier or Apple. Like, I know going to Apple, they're going to say, oh, everything's fine. It's your carrier. <laughs> like, I just know that's what they're going to say. So I know I'm going to get the runaround. I, I, it's just frustrating. I have to wonder about all the other T-Mobile Apple Watch users as well in general. This is uh, You did have an example of where people are talking about it on the forums. Yes. But there's got to be enough people out there that... Here's, it's a bigger deal. Here's the thing, Joe. I think that most people do not take their watch and their phone away from each other. I think most people have their phone in their pockets and their watch on their wrist. And so they never notice. Even if they have the cellular model, they don't notice. It, the, the use case of using the only the watch on cellular is f- fewer and far bet- more far between than probably we think. Uh, even I, like, it's only when I go running or something or, or go, you know, take off on a on a thing where I don't want the the, the phone in my pocket or have to strap it to my bike or whatever. Um, that's only when I notice it. Otherwise, my phone, my watch is connected to the internet through my phone and everything is great. So, uh, I don't know. I still have no data on my watch when I get away from my phone and it's really frustrating. To be continued. Oh, yeah. I feel for you, man. 
see, now, now I've still been rocking the Apple Watch Series 4 with the scratches on the corner. So hmm. I, I need to find uh, a way to repolish the surface and uh, potentially eliminate the scratches. Oh, so Apple, ha- it, Apple has a way for you to do that. Do they? Yes, they will sell you an Apple Watch Series 6. Oh, that's brilliant. <laughs> Even the SE model wouldn't be a bad crack. So I, I have looked at them on the floor display, but I was for real, like if you like brush your fingertips across the glass of my screen, you hardly would be able to feel these scratches. So I know that they're barely even surface deep. So I wonder if there is a way to repolish it. You can definitely buff them out, I, I would think. It's glass, so you can you can certainly do something about that. I'm, I'm just not familiar with buffing glass. Do you have any experience? No, I just know it can be done. Hmm, okay. That's good to know. I'm not a glass person. I, I used to weld and things, but, like, glass is beyond my capabilities. Although, you know, when I go to these, like, old-time, like, places where they have glass blowing and stuff, like, it's always fascinating to me. And I look at that and go, man, that, that would really hurt if you, uh, you touch that right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 20, 2700 degrees or whatever the, the various there's, there's like 2400 and 2700 and depending on what you're trying to do with the glass you stick it in the oven that is the certain temperature hmm. yeah. well okay if you do end up jumping carriers you're you're going to stay on t-mobile for your phone but move the apple watch to another carrier or no, no, move that, everything? Doesn't, that doesn't work the, the watch and the phone are are, are pair like yeah you're it, and it only works with one of the big four carriers uh i know at&t is garbage in my area and sprint and t-mobile have merged so now it only only, only works the big three carriers um and so i guess i would be having to go back to verizon which i've been on before and they're fine um in this area t-mobile and until i got my apple watch tended to be the better carrier um so i just find it frustrating and it's really i feel like it's a network provisioning issue like i feel like the network is just like no you don't get any data because my phone gets data fine so i don't know computers are dumb please just (laughs) just, bad words insert here well, speaking of which, uh, <laughs> the next thing on the outline, DJ, you, you need to get a therapist. <laughs> we got a lot of grievances to I, air. I am reminded of why I was trying to get away from Apple. And, you know, obviously the thing I discovered is Apple is the worst, um, except for everybody else. <laughs> so um, right. here's uh, Paul Haddad. He is one of the developers of TweetBot. Um, and uh, he, he's like the main guy uh, with TapBots. Uh, Tapbot, Tapbot. I don't think it's plural. Anyway, uh, it's a picture of Apple's home automation application, uh, the home home uh, is it the home app on um, macOS, and it's hysterically, laughably bad. It's the it, 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 I've I if, when is I'm speechless. When is the last time you've seen an app that was this bad? And this is an Apple application on the Mac. Like this isn't even just phoning it in. This is hostile. This is just bad. Okay, so I'm in and out of HomeKit's app all the time, and the automation things are perplexing. It is not that I'm making something quite like this. I'm not using motion detectors, but it is so janky. If the product is not made by Apple, if it's not Apple's hardware, and then you're trying to use it with HomeKit, it gets as confusing as all get out what you're trying to do. I'm using so for on this is related. We have the Wemo power plugs, and we have all these household lamps plugged into the power plugs for 
the my bedroom and for the family room. So when we say to Siri, uh, good night, lights out, she every time says, just a sec. And then after she cuts off all the lights, she says, I tried to communicate with all of your smart devices, but I couldn't get in touch with all of them. Yes. I think we've talked about this before. Uh, it sounds really familiar. It is familiar and it's frustrating because... Why is she even telling me that she couldn't communicate with all of the devices because she didn't hear back from all of them? It's so passive aggressive. <laughs> More uh, of the HomeKit platter problems. Yeah. So, and I, I'm not even talking about how confusing it would be to connect devices. Like, this is just literally just the design is what I'm evaluating of yeah, this application. Yeah, the interface of it's uh, yeah on the Mac. It, it I haven't even opened so, it. It looks so bad, so bad. Like, there's all this huge. It's this like huge window. Full of nothing, with a thing in, a, a dialogue in the middle that needs more size, but it doesn't have it, and it's not a macOS style dialogue. It is an iOS style dialogue with pop ups, like when you click a button and then there's like an arrow pointing up to a pop up dialogue. Like it's just so bad. It's just not. It's just bad. This, 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 this sort of thing is what drove me away from Apple initially a few years ago, and I don't know. So, but that's the thing is that it's not really just like an Apple versus the world problem. It's like you said, there, there's problems on the other side of the, the spectrum as well, going back to a PC world. Yeah. Well, like I said, uh, it turns out, um, <laughs> Apple is the worst except for everybody else. <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't mind addressing Apple's problems here, especially if there's a story to tell. And there is a very frustrating story to tell when it concerns anything to do with HomeKit. And and that is the thing is that we're getting to the point, TJ, where I really expect more of my home devices. And a great way to do that is to get smart devices. Something I wanted earlier this year was I was looking at getting some uh, blinds, smart blinds for home. And they're still just too expensive. I had no idea. You can either take a family vacation or you can buy some blinds for your windows. And I decided I'd rather have family vacation. So I, I, I find just uh, the expense to be a problem, but even more so when you're forking out that kind of money for all this uh, smart tech and Apple is promising a lot for HomeKit and then the substance is just not there in the interface and the apps, it is it is infuriating. Speaking of Apple being infuriating, Joe, you have, this is just, this is like our therapy podcast. You have <laughs> some grievances. This is a good ep- episode to air all of the grievances. <laughs> you have some grievances with Apple and iCloud, I take it, and iCloud Drive, uh, and sort of like you have a tale of woe to tell us. I do. Yeah, so this is the moment you've all been waiting for. So in the last few years, we've had a lot less news and uh, bad stories to tell about iCloud in uh, times past that it was so bad. Nobody wanted to touch it with a 10 foot pole. So in more recent years, you know, they've made it more robust. It is more or less working across all devices. You don't have to wait too long for your pictures and videos to be shared and if you were using it for files, it seems really reliable. So a lot of us have gotten uh, lax and a little careless and wondered whether or not we could switch over to iCloud Drive in uh, move away from Dropbox altogether. And some of us didn't want to pay for two services. And so if we're going to buy iCloud Drive anyway with something like Apple One, why wouldn't we just go ahead and use its storage? 
And since nobody's really talking about the complaints so much anymore, and iCloud is pushed upon you, it's built right into the Finder and the Files app, then why wouldn't you just use iCloud Drive? Let me tell you. So I, I, I put most of my Pull data... Pull up a chair. Joe, mm-hmm. Joe, story time with Joe. Yeah. I, I'm going to try and save you. Um, listen to my story. Learn from me. What happens is you put all of your data on external hard drives like a sane person. And that's what I do 99, you know, 97, 99% of the time, whether it's work or personal information. And it is, we don't even need to explain why that's a good idea. But then, you know, you're just getting a little careless. There's files that are convenient to put into iCloud because on if you have all the bells and whistles turned on in system preferences and settings, it's going to sync your desktop and your documents and downloads folders across all of your Mac and iOS devices. So what's, what's so bad about that, DJ? Why wouldn't you want to sync all of your documents folders across all your devices? So well, I don't be- do, I'm not an insane person. I don't do that. Mm. So it became pretty easy to say, I need some top parent folders, like one for my household, one for media, one for the temporary items that I may want to hold on to for a couple of weeks or less. And so I had folders for these sorts of things in there. Among them, a lot of my financial records, but I didn't have them just there. I had a lot of that in Dropbox as well. And in the back of my mind, I knew that one significant difference between Dropbox and iCloud was that Dropbox has a version history. It has online backups. If something accidentally is deleted, you can go back to the one that you want. And nobody really talked about that for iCloud. So the other day, being a, a human being on the weekend, I wanted to get some yard work done. And I was doing some work in the garage too. So I have a Mac in the garage and I turned it on and I realized, holy smokes, it hasn't been updated since last spring. So it hasn't been updated to Big Sur. I have lots of red flags going off right now in my head. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Let me hear your question. What what is plaguing your mind right now? Well, it's not a question so much as just like red flags. You're going to lose data. Something Your Mac hasn't been turned on in six months. Like This is bad. Mm, yeah, more like 11 months. Yeah, exactly. And I turn it on and everything's still there. Everything is fine. It's got two users on this computer. One's me and one's my wife and neither of us have used it in about a year. So I think, okay, well, let me just go ahead and update all the apps. It wants to update all these utilities and all these apps and bring it up to Big Sur because I'm going to be using this Mac uh, soon again when I take the Office Mac back to the office and I'm doing my day job at the office again. I'll need to run this Mac at home for anything else. So I start the process of downloading Big Sur and it says, well, you don't have enough storage room. And I think that's odd. Well, I, I don't remember leaving this computer full of data. So I run clean my Mac and it cannot find enough space for me. Eventually I figured out after the bad uh, problem ensued and I lost data, I realized that the issue was that iCloud on my wife's user account on this Mac was trying to download and sync all of the video and all of the photos in its library. So it had used up all the space left on the drive on the Mac. Okay, great. Well, the the good news was is that I didn't have to worry about my wife's data or that user on the Mac because she doesn't use it hardly ever. So I could go ahead and delete her user and recover 
almost 100 gigabytes of data storage capacity. Uh, so before that happened, I thought, well, what's going on in the documents folder and what's going on in the movies folder? You know, Is there a copy of my music library on here trying to synchronize? Well, according to settings, it said that iCloud Drive was not syncing the documents, downloads, and desktop folders. It was unchecked, TJ. But then when I opened up the folder contents for the documents, it actually reflected basically everything in iCloud Drive documents. (sighs) So that made me nervous. I thought, well, there's a lot of data in here. At least um, looks like it could be about 25 gigs worth of data. I could delete it all and free up that space to uh, upgrade to Big Sur. And I want to get back to my yard work and cleaning out the garage. It's spring cleaning day. I don't really want to be touching the Mac, but it could run these background processes, which take a couple of hours to upgrade to a new operating system while I do other things. So what do I do? Um, Well, okay, collect all the files from the documents folder and put it in the trash. Hit delete, and that'll free up the space. And part of me said, well, of course you can do this because the setting says that it is not synchronizing these folders with iCloud Drive. So you're safe. So many red flags. And then the other part of me was like, you idiot. You just put all this data into the trash can and you're about to hit delete. What do you think you're doing? Run a backup, but you got external drives sitting around right here. Just plug in one of them and copy it all over to the external drive. Don't, don't, just listening to me now. I'm your subconscious. We haven't talked in a while. You know, so that is where I'm at. <laughs> and I, I agree with my subconscious and I decide to drag everything over to the external drive. And then I get back to my yard work. So it, meanwhile, it has a progress bar and it says it's going to take it, like an hour. So I leave the desk, I go on and I do some yard work and I come back when I'm tired and I check on the back and it says that, you know, it's got, you know, over half of the data moved and um, I'm like, okay, well, that's great. Well, then out of the corner of my eye, I see that the trash can is full and switching into my unconscious, my autopilot mode, my muscle memory that is ingrained from over 20 years of using computers the same reflexes in my fingertips that know to press command S to save, <laughs> save, save every two or three minutes. I don't even know how often I do it anymore. It's like breathing, but I never forget to save. The same muscle reflexes uh, use the keyboard command to tell it to empty the trash. Command and it says, shift delete. And do you want to delete this? I say, yes, I do want to empty the trash. And it's this is all happening in a flash and i've confirmed empty the trash here it empty the trash and then i immediately realized what i had just done i have made error oh. <laughs> <laughs> and i i i just die inside and i look up at the progress bar and it's frozen and i'm like but it's going to be okay because settings says that it's not synchronizing these things on iCloud Drive. <laughs> so I jump up from the chair. I run inside. I go to my work Mac. I refresh the computer. I log in. I go to the system preferences. I go to the, the iCloud. And I check. And it's syncing. And the finder shows all the files and data are gone. They were there. And now they're not. Everything is gone. <sighs> And so I, with a very, very heavy heart, I call Apple 
and I say, how do I recover this data that was on iCloud Drive? And and they say, okay, go fish. Okay, to honest to God, this was the most casual conversation I've ever had with one of these guys before. I was flummoxed by how disengaged and disconnected from the reality of my situation this guy was. It like he could have been snacking on a bag of chips at the desk. <laughs> and he's like, "Oh man. Um, well, there's no kind of version history, uh there's no kind of backup and time machine won't work." So and he gave me to silence. And I w- I was just f- appalled. TJ, uh, I could not believe his neutral, di- just absolutely, d- d- just so. It's like, dude, do you have any idea? This was not mission critical. I have to have data, but it was data that I've held on to for over ten years. Mm. Maybe I might want to keep it. Perhaps. And, and so. <laughs> I I I go back to the Mac in the garage and I check the external drive where all the files were being transferred to. And thank God, the most mission critical files that I would want to have were all there. It was it was really things like duplicates of, of video clips and pictures and duplicates of uh, Photoshop files that I lost, a, a local copy of a couple of movies I've edited. But it just, it was one of those cold, hard reality moments being um, shaken to your core when you realize that you came way too close. That was just way too close. And the Millennium Falcon nearly got snuffed out in the <laughs> ventilation shaft. <sighs> yeah, I mean, that was sort of the moment that I had with Night Owl earlier in the week. <laughs> yeah. It was it was not great. So what I realized in the minutes to follow was, oh my word iCloud Drive is a robust and complete piece of absolute horror. Nobody should be using iCloud Drive like I was. People (laughs) don't use document syncing across all of your devices. It is just asking for a a devastating situation. I definitely definitely agree with document syncing. Yes. Use Dropbox. I don't care how much you have to spend on it. That's so, that's where I'm at, and that's and I just moved to Dropbox. So you definitely should not use Document and Desktop Sync. I think those features are awful, and plenty of people have documented issues with them, such as the ones that you've experienced. Like it syncs, see, that's it, the thing. That's what took me by surprise, TJ. Is that it's, it's not a question of the, is it reliable. It works. It's just it is going to shoot you in the face if you are pulling the trigger and you're thinking what. Apple, that you have no safety on this gun? How could you not? <laughs> There's no backup solution? And you tell me that even Time Machine can't help me with this? Oh my yeah. word. No, I, I do think it's unconscionable that there's no backup solution built in. Uh, I, I, and I have had more and more issues with Dropbox over time. And a couple of years ago, I cut Dropbox out of my life. Um, so what I and, – and your story prompted me to set up my own backups of my iCloud Drive because I use iCloud Drive extensively and heavily. I have a lot of stuff in iCloud Drive, uh, documents that I want on all my devices, um, very 
various things. Uh, I have a, a whole directory called dot setup, which has a lot of my dot what, what's called dot files. Um, you know, my bash profile. Actually, I use a, a terminal called fish. So it has all my fish settings in there. Um, uh, just various things that I sync across my devices, and I have a setup script, a bash script that I run that symlinks these things into the right places, and so it's always in iCloud Drive. But what you your story prompted me to say, you know what? I definitely should be having a backup of my iCloud Drive. And so um, I added it with, with APFS. It's really easy to add volumes to existing drives. I added a volume called iCloud Drive Backup. And Carbon Copy Cloner, um, can, even though it's, you know, Carbon Copy Cloner, it kind of has this idea of cloning disks. You can point the source of a backup task to a directory. And so I chose iCloud Drive for that directory. And then you can point the destination to anywhere you want. I pointed it to this new volume that I created. And I run it daily every every day at 1, and it backs up my iCloud Drive to this hard drive. Oh, very good. So and I've, 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 since I've gone back to iCloud Drive over the last few months, I've had zero issues with um, – with iCloud Drive. It's been really great. And I do think, and actually they did add some visibility because it used to be, the thing that I found frustrating with iCloud Drive is like, I put it in the iCloud Drive. Why isn't it over here on my other computer? Who knows? Well, they have added, you can actually click the little progress bar and see that things are happening. Well, where's um, that? Are so you talking about in the finder, that little In the wheel? finder, there's okay. a little wheel. If you click the wheel, it'll actually bring up a dialogue that shows you a little bit more granularly what it's doing. Not a lot, but a little bit. So there's some more visibility into it than there used to be. There's still no way to force a sync, which I know Apple's like, well, it'll just sync. Well, yeah, except when it doesn't. Yeah. But um, uh, what I found is oh, day-to-day use, no problems. And when I was setting this all up and putting a lot of files into my iCloud Drive and moving them over from Google Drive, I would occasionally get stalls, and I would reboot the computer I was trying to download the stalled download from, and it would start syncing again. <laughs> so other than the initial setup like that, uh, iCloud Drive has been great. <laughs> And and I am implementing my own backup solution, so I don't trust it further than I can throw Apple the entire Apple headquarters, which is no fun. I can't throw it at all, so I don't trust it at all. But I have been enjoying it. The, the thing that just really perplexes me too is that they've run no sort of duplicates. They have no version history. They have no backup solution in place. They do not warn you about this or recommend mm. that you do it, and then you go and you delete, you know, thirty plus gigs of data. And then as quick as lightning, it is already synced and deleted that data from your other computers. That's the feature, Joe. That's a feature. Deletion <laughs> synchronization is working lightning fast. But, you know, actually getting those things to sync across the board when you're trying to add and move things around, well, you know, it'll get to it when it feels like it. <sighs> well, I feel for you. It's That's frustrating. Yeah. I do want to get to one more thing. This is kind of our last shot at this, okay? Yeah, <laughs> because because the we're, we're already late last week, and I didn't we didn't record an episode last note. week. Let's talk yeah. About it. <laughs> so, like I said, we were already late last week, and then we didn't record an episode. So this is the uh, a couple weeks ago was the 20th anniversary of Mac OS 10, um, then shortened to OS 10, then changed to Mac OS, not to be confused with Mac OS Classic. Um, although there is some shared lineage, there's not a, there's no shared. It's not it's a it's a new operating system inspired by classic macOS, right? Um, yeah. So the, the the anniversary of the 20th anniversary was March 24th, 2021. Uh, it was released. The initial version was released on March 24th, 2001. Um, 
And I, I can genuinely, honestly say that Mac OS has changed the course of my life for the better, uh, or, or OS 10 or Mac OS 10 or whatever you want to call it. <laughs> um, the, I, I thought, um, I don't know what you're, you were using the Mac before Mac OS 10. I was not. Um, I was using Windows and, uh, was using Windows, uh, 2000, I think at the time because I had, I had bought a computer with Windows XP and it immediately crashed and I went to Windows 2000. Anyway, um, my girlfriend at the time, now my wife, uh, she had a uh, Titanium PowerBook. Remember those? Um, and <laughs> it was running Jaguar, which was Mac OS 10.2. So this was this was 2002 slash 2003. I don't remember if we ever upgraded that computer to Panther, but anyway, that was my first taste of working on a Mac. And even though even in those early days, I think Mac was a little bit rough. Remember the oh the, God the pinstripes? <laughs> yeah, I'm <laughs> oh, checking was, out some screenshots right now. <laughs> it was a little garish, and it is. but at the time, and and it's I think it's interesting. I was just looking back over the screenshots of of this Mac OS. I'm like, oh, I remember this. Boy, some of this is garish, but like it's funny how it's completely recognizable. This mm-hmm. it, that it, it it is very clear. It is the same lineage of the operating system. It's very recognizable as OS X, and yet it has a completely different feel to it. Uh, I remember when I was using it and and how how it felt to use it, and it was fun, and I loved it, and I loved the overbearing pinstripes and the drop shadows at the time, and I loved the gumdrop buttons and and the 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 way that the scroll bars felt like there was like fluid behind them or something. There were like little pills <laughs> with fluid right. floating behind them, and the progress bar had this little fluid floating behind it you know when you had dialogues with progress bars like it was also as steve Jobs said lickable and it was kind of like a breath of fresh air to me and so in 2003 um i bought a uh, aluminum power book that had just come out the PowerBook g4 aluminum and that had panther so that was my first my first computer mac computer had panther and uh they had they had started already to tone down the pinstripes and the stuff like panther bear had a hint of pinstripes but it was much more livable and the buttons had already recessed and, and they didn't look like they were gumdrops sticking on the top of the windows and that was when the um the brush metal finder oh panther introduced brush metal and then it sort of infected everything in in panther um <laughs> panther was it, an excellent generation i liked how they i love panther of, uh, created sort of a matte finish on the glass they, yes. Maybe they were thinking, you know, the problem with the current interface is that it's just an extra gloss. You know, let's make this a little bit more muted. Let's go for satin. And I liked the finish. Yes. And, and Panther, I remember feeling like it was an extremely stable operating system. I remember Tiger, which came after it, 10.4, at least initially, I upgraded to Tiger and I'm like, I have made a huge error because it was so much more unstable than Panther. But obviously, I think none, none of these operating systems are as stable as Mac OS is now. But that definitely went through some growing pains. And I was not in on the era of Mac OS 10.0 and 10.1, but I hear they were unusably and unbearably slow. Um, what, what's your take on all this? Oh, I loved it. I loved every step of the way. There's been so many interesting things that inspired me about the Mac OS interface. The it, it, just glorious days. You know, I started using Macs in 1993 when it was very unpopular in the dark days. It felt like those were what do we call them? Like medieval times when the Apple. Uh, just ecosystem as a whole was sad and PCs were winning left and right. And (laughs) everything you wanted to do was to be found on the PC. And then we stuck it through. I ended up with PCs in the late nineties, but then I heard good things about the iMacs and we got one of those. And it was one of those promises where you felt like you were promised the new era of Apple 
but it took a, a few years before they really arrived at uh you know giving you some return on all that hope so we started in 97 and 98 feel being told like hey we're coming back with a vengeance and we're going to be amazing just you wait uh, the second coming of steve jobs it's going to be wonderful and I, I felt like they gave us uh, a, a period of time where they really tested our patience. But when they finally came through and we got Mac OS X, I loved the Aqua interface. And then seeing the updates over the years, I fell in love with Snow Leopard uh, because I, I remember being frustrated with the stability issues with regular Leopard. Yes. And no, Snow Leopard. Uh, it's funny. Snow Leopard feels like when the operating system matured. In hindsight, at the time, we didn't know it. Yeah. Because I felt like Panther was the pinnacle of macOS. And Tiger finally stabilized, but it never felt quite as stable as Panther. And then Leopard, I feel like, was really an unstable release. And it took them several updates to really get – and at the time – back in those days, internet was slower. Updates were more onerous. And it's like, man, what – come on what are you doing apple and then snow leopard comes out and you're like okay all right here we go um it, it this is this is it this is mac os has arrived and you know what's funny is snow leopard was released in 2009 think about this joe so mm-hmm. this is eight years into the life of the operating system you're going oh it's so mature it's been around forever here we are at 20 yeah now think about this mac os the original mac os it wasn't even called mac os at the time it was just the Mac and it came with an operating system and you weren't supposed to know anything about it, but that was released in 1984 and Apple iterated on that. Like all that code was a continuing evolution and iteration, just like Mac OS 10 is now until they, they replaced it with Mac OS 10, which was a completely different operating system. It was not related at all code wise. And so 84 to 2001, what's the math on that, Joe? That's 16 years. (laughs) Mac OS 10 now, then OS 10, now Mac OS so the modern, the, starting with macOS 10 in 2001, has been 20 years. How weird is that? <laughs> it's amazing. It felt like, it, it felt, didn't it feel like when, uh, even though I was young in those days, it just felt like, man, macOS, Mac has been a thing forever and ever. And right. now it's been longer than that. Like mm-hmm. I've, I've lived through an era that has been longer than that. <laughs> we got the, the macOS 10 before we got iPods. Yes, yes, we did. Oh. Well, and when you think about it, uh, Mac OS X, we would not have the iPhone without Mac OS X. Famously, and perhaps incorrectly, but I, I would argue not incorrectly, at least not the not with a, a, the proper understanding. Famously, Steve Jobs stood up on stage when he announced the iPhone and said, this thing runs OS X. Okay, that's what he said up there. Right. Now, what he meant, and maybe he didn't even fully understand it, but all of the underpinnings, everything, you know, the mock microkernel, uh, the BSD, um, every, you know, Unix-like, everything under the covers. Basically, what they did with the iPhone is they took off the top layer of Mac OS X, which is the user interface, and they put a different user interface on it. When you, and I, I am, I don't know the ins and outs of code at Apple, but I'm convinced, I, I, I would almost guarantee you that they share the same code base almost identically underneath. They probably have the same repository, uh, and they build different targets, you know, when they run a build of the kernel. They, it targets it, but it's the same kernel. It's the same operating system. Mm. And so everything that Apple does now is based on OS X. OS X, of course, comes from Next Step. Its lineage is the next computer operating system, which, uh, which is Next Step, which was acquired when Apple acquired Next and Steve Jobs came back. 
Um, and so that w- that turns out turns out it was Gil Emilio at the helm when they bought uh, Next Step, and you know he kind of wasn't very happy with the way things went, and he got let go, and Steve Jobs became the CEO. But that decision really set the future for Apple and and arguably saved Apple. Like Apple would not be here today yeah. if this hadn't happened. And everything that Matt Apple does now is based on OS X, uh, what became OS X, which was previously Next Step. Pretty amazing, really, that, that that company was almost dead, came back to life, and now that operating system has proliferated everywhere. iPhones, iPads, Apple TVs, um, HomePods, uh, Mac OS, you know, Mac computers, like everything that Apple does is based on Mac OS. It's been amazing. It's been one of the most successful products of our age. I love it. I'm so grateful for it. It has molded a lot of my career. It has made a lot of what we do possible. I don't think the internet <laughs> fully appreciates and thanks Apple for their contribution. No, and as much as I complain about Apple, like I really, you know, having lived in the wilderness for a few years and having previously before I came to Apple been on Windows, it really is, I think, overall, without with with its blemishes, you know, it is overall the best operating system. And I would say that Mac OS is better than ever now. There's been some falters over the years. Obviously, I complained about Leopard. There was some time in there. I don't remember the names. I, I start losing track of the names of the operating systems. But, you know, a few releases before – and even Catalina, I felt like, had a lot of warts that, that Big Sur has helped smooth over. There's still some rough spots, but um, – I think the future for Mac OS is bright and I and I think even more the future of the underpinnings of this operating system were clearly built to last. Like the problem with classic Mac OS is Nobody knew what computers were or how to build operating systems for them in 1984, and they made it work for 16 years, but it was getting very creaky. Uh, it had, you know, shared memory architecture and not not a good separated memory architecture. It, you know, had a monolithic kernel, all, all these things that just made it a very unstable over time operating system. And Mac OS X was built to last, and it clearly shows. And I, I, I don't think that there's any – I don't see any future where some some evolution of Mac OS X isn't the future for Apple. It's going to be good. It's going to be interesting. Uh, can, can you imagine Mac OS not being around in 10 years? No. I can't. No, I, I think Apple has recommitted to the Mac in a way. And then, like I said, even if it's not Mac OS anymore, even if it evolves, what they've created is such a modular operating system. I, I don't like I'm not an operating system developer. I'm I'm not that kind of developer, but I, I do know a little bit about it. And it's a very modular operating system. They were able to create iOS because they made the system modular. So they were able to pull out the top layer, the UI layer that the user sees. Everything else is still there and they can still build on it. And they can build, you know, Cocoa Touch in. I, I think that's what they used to call the uh, touch framework for uh, iOS. In the event, they they built the touch interface instead of the classic Cocoa interface. That it's no longer called Cocoa, but it you know it was the the Aqua layer on top of everything. They don't even call it Aqua anymore. So, I'm sorry, I'm confusing my terms. Cocoa is actually a pro, the the framework. So please don't send me your emails. I, <laughs> I should have said Aqua. Um, yeah, it's uh, boy. I don't know what else to say. It, it has it changed the world for the better, and it's clearly like I think Windows is pretty good these days in, in certain ways, and I think that influence the reason it is is because OS ten existed and exists. Well, I think that's the show. Yeah, that's a good you, place to wrap up. Yeah, you can find show notes for this episode at nightowl.fm slash hi-fi slash 27. I'll drop links in there for the Aqua screenshot library that Stephen Hackett has put together. If you want to take that uh, trip, you know, blast from the past and go down that uh, memory lane and a bunch of other, you know, links and things that we talked about. And uh, hopefully if I don't crash uh, nightowl.fm in the intervening time, we'll be back next week. (laughs) 